Welcome to episode 86 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we play The Last of Us. Just a few quick content warnings before we start. In the last few episodes, we've avoided talk about COVID-19, but given what's going on in the world, we felt it was necessary to talk about because of the content of The Last of Us. Additionally, we will not be talking about the leaks related to The Last of Us 2. Our talk about the sequel will only share details from official Naughty Dog media and presentations. You can find all things Left Behind Game Club at leftbehindgame.club, on our Twitter at leftbehindclub, and on Instagram at leftbehindgameclub. If you want to join our Discord and talk about this and many other games, you can find the link to that on our website. 20 years after an infectious disease takes down most of the world's population, you take on the role, you follow the story of Joel and Ellie, who must rely on each other to survive a brutal crossed America journey. Enjoy our discussions about The Last of Us. I need something smuggled out of the city. Just cargo, Joel. I just want some simple gear, enough to set me on my way. I reckon it's got something to do with that girl. It's got everything to do with that little girl. It can't be any worse than in here. Can it? People, Joel, it's been that way for a long time. No, we are survivors. This is our chance. It is over, Tess. What are you so afraid of? You're treading on some mighty thin ice here. What do we do? You make every shot count. You see, I believe everything happens for a reason. We don't have to do this. You know that, right? After all we've been through, everything that I've done, it can't be for nothing. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCourt, and today I have two friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him, it's Michael Ruffalo. I'm excited to finally talk about this game. Oh boy. And uh, first time on the pod, uh, I would like to introduce you to Matt, aka Stormageddon. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm Woo! so happy to be here. Uh, I've been a fan of the show for a while. Uh, shout out to... Uh, Michael and Larry of game, the now retired Games Gone podcast because me and Jacob became connected through them. Um, I got followed by your podcast's Twitter account and I was like, oh, let me check this out. Um, and I've loved the show since. I haven't listened to every episode, but I try and listen to at least every episode of a game I've played. Um, my highlight episodes so far have been Gato Roboto because I love that game and Short Hike. I thought Short Hike, which I haven't finished, though I've played, um, that episode is one of my favorites because it's just it, it's so beautiful the way you all talk about that game. And it's a game that deserves to be talked about. So, so yeah, I'm happy to be here. A little bit of Canadiana that I, I'm glad you enjoyed. <laughs> so uh, do you want to let people know like some of the projects that you work on before we get into the game? Sure, I'm happy to. Uh, I'll give you the short, short version because otherwise we'll be here for a half hour. Um, <laughs> I am a podcaster, a DJ, and a Twitch streamer. Um, I've been DJing for a decade uh, from burlesque shows to live events, private events, festivals. Um, it's a thing I've been passionate about since I was a kid. I'm a big music nerd. Um, I have... Four different podcasts that I host. We'll go into more detail. 
detail about those later, but two of them are gaming. One is movies and TV, and the other is an interview series that I've done the longest. Um, and then I produce a bunch of stuff as well. Um, and then I stream over twitch.tv slash DJ underscore Stormageddon. Um, I streamed a lot of this game that we're talking about today, actually. I finished it off stream, but I played the majority of it on stream. And, and we'll hear all of your thoughts about The Last of Us right now, which is a game that we all played for this episode, uh, developed by Naughty Dog, published by Sony Computer Entertainment. Uh, this one came out on PlayStation 3 on June 14th of 2013 and came out on PlayStation 4 a little over a year later. Uh, as we begin this episode, we will start like we have many of the episodes in recent memory by giving the fast pitch on The Last of Us. So uh, let me start by giving my fast pitch before I hand it off to you guys. Um, the Last of Us is one of the greatest cinematic achievements in video games and still holds up fairly well in 2020. Mike is already got his head back, ready to to shoot some vitriol. So why don't you go next, Mike? I feel like that's hyperbolic. Um, I feel like that's extreme, <laughs> but I feel like more than anything, we'll get into uh, you know unpacking that throughout the episode. My short, uh, fast pitch, I guess, on what this game is, uh, is a very similar to The Walking Dead father-daughter story. Um, and without giving too much of my feelings away, um, you know, probably better as a TV show or film than a game. Ooh. Okay. Okay. And Matt, what's your fast pitch on the last of us? I think I'm going to come in somewhere in the middle, but I would say that it's definitely one of the most cinematic games I've played. Um, and this is a company that is known for making cinematic games, so that's unsurprising. Um, I think it's a, uh, an in-depth story that living in a time of quarantine actually changed your perspective of. And I'll talk a little bit about that um, because I played it very recently. Um, but I would say as far as a game as a whole, it's what if zombies plus mushrooms equals crazy pants? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's a really great comment you made. And I think that we have to state in this instance that, you know, we've tried to stay away from talking about COVID-19, but we are recording this during kind of the, the peak of uh, what's going on with COVID-19. So I think it's going to change the way that we talk about the game. What um, we hope is the peak. <laughs> yeah. Just just what add. we hope is the peak. What we hope is the peak. So I, I think that we should know that going in uh, to this. And uh, knowing that, uh, I want to know what your personal histories are with The Last of Us. Um, again, I'll start and just say that I played this game when it first came out uh, on my PlayStation 3, like day one, picked it up, huge fan of Naughty Dog's games, uh, was blown away, and then replayed it now on uh, PS4 with the remastered version, um, which had upgraded graphics, a better frame rate, improved draw distance. Uh, there's also a multiplayer mode in this game that I think it's fair to say that uh, given Michael played it on PlayStation 3 and the multiplayer servers on PlayStation 3 are gone, that we will not be talking about the multiplayer at all here. So that's my experience with uh, with The Last of Us. Matt, what's your personal history with uh, with this game? So uh, I actually never, I never owned a PS3. I skipped that generation. I had a PS1 and a PS2. Then I had a 360. And then I didn't like anything about the xbox uh one so i bought a ps4 um and by bought one i mean i actually got it as a wedding present which was awesome and uh <laughs> and uh, it was very kind of the family that all chipped in and got it for me and my spouse uh but that said when i got it um it came with the last of us remastered um and so this was in 2015 is when i got married so i first played it when it came out 
And then, like, two weeks later, Arkham Knight came out, and I never touched Last of Us again. I got about maybe a third of the way through it, and then I just abandoned it for other games and then never went back. And I'd say about six... No, not six months ago. Maybe three or four months ago, with The Last of Us 2 on the horizon, or at least it was at the time... I was like, well, I should replay this game. It got a lot of great reviews. I love Naughty Dog. Um, I love Uncharted. I haven't finished that series yet either. Um, I'm halfway through the third game, and I just got the fourth game for free, so I will be finishing it at some point. Um, but I was like, let me let me give it another shot, because the new one's coming out. It looks really good, and I remember liking what I had played. And so I and I was like, and also, you know, it's a great game to stream. It's really cinematic. People will want to hang out and just watch. Um, and so I did that. And it's some of the more successful streams I've done because people who I had, didn't know at all would just search the tag and come hang out because they wanted to rewatch the game, which was pretty neat. And uh, and yeah, and so I complete I completed most of it on stream, and then I think I played the last mission uh, in the hospital, which we'll get to, and the DLC off stream. Uh, just because I was like, I need to finish this thing. Let me get get it done. And so, yeah. And so that's my history. It, you know, I never touched it on the PS3, though I wanted to. Um, but like Uncharted, thankfully, the PS4 gave me an opportunity to re-experience these games. So, you know, my my personal history with The Last of Us is uh, largely informed by everything that, that's come since its release, which is widespread critical acclaim, um, chart topping of people's favorite and best games of all time being uh you know one of the pieces of discussion uh when when Roger Ebert was discussing whether games are art or not um and and so I had not been someone who played it when it came out I had been aware of it I had been um hearing about it during all the you know game of the year deliberations and and seeing it win just award after award um I remember the Sony um, E3 press conference where it was brought out and there was that Pittsburgh level. Um, I, I remember every bit along the the way in terms of marketing and hype and, and all of the, the acclaim that it got after. Um, but I had never played it until, you know, uh, uh, I guess a week or two ago. And um, it wasn't because I didn't have a, a, a PlayStation. I, I, I think I've owned every Sony console uh, there is. I just had never gotten around to it. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like, you know, anything that is to be said, uh, about the game or anything that you hear in terms of my opinion of it is just so highly, highly influenced by the fact that it had so much praise coming in. Um, and, and it's really hard to escape that. So very, very highly influenced by, by knowing so much about it. Okay. So just to summarize here, uh, you, both of you had never finished it. Uh, Mike, you played it on PlayStation 3. Matt, you played it on PlayStation 4. Mm -hmm. And I'd finished it once before and now finished it for a second time. And I played it on PlayStation 4 as well. Okay, perfect. Um, if you had to describe what The Last of Us plays like uh, to someone who may not have seen The Last of Us, um, it's, it's, is it fair to say it's, it's a third-person shooter that has a high emphasis on stealth and cinematic experiences? Is that like a really simple way of summarizing it? Yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense. It, it's, uh, it's very clearly Sony-inspired, like very clearly a Sony game. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, if, if you were to ask Jonathan Blow like what type of game it is, I think he'd probably say it's a puzzle game. <laughs> um, because each room is is a puzzle in its own way, and you really just need to get from one end to the other. Um, and how you do that, the game 
gives you a little bit of sandbox and a couple of toys. And, and when I say toys, I really mean bricks and bottles <laughs> along the way. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a puzzle game, kind of a third person shooter um, with, you know, molasses like slow controls. Cool. Wow. Okay. Now let's, let's dive right in. What do you mean slow as molasses controls? Well, um, I guess what I mean by that is I think like many Sony, uh, Sony games, they prioritize, um, you know, animation over, uh, you know, what I would say tightness of controls. And I think there are some some obvious counterexamples. You know, if you look at the infamous series or infamous franchise, they had very tight controls that moved pretty fast, um, but also prioritized animations. Um, but But overall, I'd say this game feels kind of heavy. The characters have a real weight to them. Um, you don't move very quickly at any pace, and on some level, it's not quite tank controls that that you might have experienced in you know a Resident Evil game, but it's not as fluid as what you might expect from a a, a platformer or your your average third person shooter. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that um, you know you will run very straight, and you really have to take a stop or slow down to move left or right. Um, and walking is essentially done at a snail's pace. Even the run feels like a walk. So I, I think what you've said is is kind of fair. I just actually never thought of it in that way. Yeah, and I don't mean that to be too critical. I, I just, I mean it more than anything is like descriptive that you're, you're, you don't feel like you have great, control over your character at any one point in time you're you're always kind of fighting uh the controls to get your character where you want them and to do exactly what you want them to do i never felt like there was a lack of responsiveness though the way you describe it it's like the character will move on its own like i feel like at least in this game for the part of it i think is because you're joel the lead character that you play as for most of the game and then even ellie when you do play as her as well uh they're regular people they're not superheroes they're not the lead character from infamous whose name i can't remember um like cole, cole mcgrath cole mcgrath right uh, sorry his famous stint in playstation all-stars didn't make it stick <laughs> <laughs> um but like i feel like the, the reason the controls were kind of slow as molasses as you put it is because you're controlling regular people i mean i would say joel is a, feels a little supernatural sometimes especially when he's angry <laughs> but like for the most part you're an average guy and like you can only do so much um i will agree though that the controls are at their worst when you're stealthing i think that while i like i've learned to like stealth segments stealth in most games is my least favorite unless it's batman because you're batman like those stealth controls are always fun because you're freaking batman uh, in this game, I feel like you get a little lost easily and like you could be watching five clickers in front of you, but one comes from behind and you don't even know because there's kind of so much going on. And like they give you tools that work most of the time, but I definitely think there have been some cheap deaths because I had run out of shivs and I just, the controls were a little sticky. On the note of, you know, the controls being... Um, you know, res responsive as, as a normal person might, you know, be controlled. Um, I, I, I've heard this brought up as, you know, along the way in the discussion of The Last of Us that, um, you know, the, the battles are tough and you don't really have a clear 
um, dominance in them when you're fighting another human because it's it's realistic and you're you know as another as a person fighting another person for survival you wouldn't have you know such a dominant edge over it but you know at least in my playthrough of it I felt like Joel was superhuman throughout most of the game and that like he's not only taking he's took on multiple armies of people he he took on you know every firefly he took on uh you know all, uh, huge bands of cannibals uh it took, took on you know huge amounts of people um and you know i don't want to be the guy who's um you know poking and saying it's not realistic enough because that's that, you know that's right. not actually what i'm you know looking for but um I just felt like it doesn't quite walk the line as well as I would have liked. I would have liked Joel to be, you know, more evenly matched against some of the the enemies if if that's kind of what they were going for, make the enemies stronger and, you know, make you really pensive about getting into an engagement. Um because I, I did largely feel like uh, you know, you add your own personal challenge as to whether you want to get through um a, a sequence without fighting anyone, but the easiest way was often just let me just kill them all one at a time. They're they're you know they're gonna come at me in twos or threes, and I'm gonna choke the first one out, and then I'll you know set set the others on fire, and they'll get some others on fire, and you know you you come up with your own way to battle chess your way through it. And the easiest way I often found was just to you know kill everyone in the room, um, which yeah you know without getting too far deep into the the gameplay of it is you know goes a little bit counter to the you know everything that i had heard coming into this that uh joel controls like a real person does um so i think what you're saying is that you know they might have sacrificed realism for you know the sake of gameplay to make the game not so difficult but i yes. think what you almost wanted is you almost wanted the game to be a little bit more difficult so that you would feel as though you can step confidently into joel's shoes well and the thing is like i didn't even come into this game wanting any one of the two right i i just felt like where it landed was kind of in the line between those and i don't feel it serves either one uh better right i feel like it, you have way more you know, ludonarrative dissonance if you're you know joel the the soul the, the army killer uh and you know it becomes less approachable if you know each of the enemies are are, are an actual match for joel so we've talked a lot about Ellie and Joel and kind of clickers, but I think that we haven't really explained what the kind of the world of The Last of Us is. In the world of The Last of Us, um, it, the game starts in 2013. Uh, you play uh, at the start of the game and for most of the game as a character named Joel. And Joel has a brother. He has a child uh, there in Texas. And kind of the whole world just collapses due to uh, a pandemic, what they think is a pandemic at the time in 2013. Um, after the intro of the game, which we can talk about in, in greater detail, uh, the game kind of jumps forward, I think something like 20 or 25 years to when the world has settled. Think of like the post-apocalypse in The Walking Dead, where, you know, you're struggling for survival against, you know, the the infected, if you will, and, you know, the people that have are trying to survive in this new reality. So uh, two phases of the game, uh, based in the US, you play largely as Joel. Uh, Ellie comes in later. Uh, she is kind of the the whole reason for being in this game. 
She's and the MacGuffin. I think it's fair to say she is the MacGuffin. Yep. Uh, so I think it is fair to say that um, from here on, uh, we are going to spoil the entirety of uh, of The Last of Us. So if you haven't played it, I mean, it's been six or seven years now. Uh, if you haven't played it, uh, stop here, play The Last of Us, come back, and we'll be here for you when you're ready. Uh, but the beginning of the game really... I'm not ashamed to admit that the beginning of the game made me cry. Oh, same. Easily. Yeah. Like, really? Like, yeah. the... the I think it. I think what does it for me, and sorry to interrupt, Jacob, um, is that uh, I I don't have any kids myself, but I have a nephew and a niece, several nephew, uh, several nieces actually on both sides, and like the the opening of this game has the death of a child and and a father grieving, and that hit me really hard, um, and I think it sets the emotional tone for the rest of the game. I mean, the whole reason that Joel is the way he is, even in the beginning and even in the end, is because of that first scene. And so, whether you cried or not, it's definitely easy to say it was pivotal and incredibly emotional, even if you didn't necessarily cry. <laughs> I, I would say that I mostly agree with what you said. Um, I think that the incident with his daughter definitely changed him, mm-hmm. although he... I think that he was a selfish person throughout, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it yes. at uh, throughout, but there's a scene in the beginning. So imagine you're in Texas, the world is crumbling, people are running, uh, you start in your house, there's a dog that attacks inside the house that kind of signals that, man, maybe this isn't exactly what we need. The neighbors attack, and things go to caca from there. Um, but the moment that I'm talking about in particular is that, you know, he's in the car with his daughter, Sarah and his brother, Tommy. And there's a point where someone like just asked to get in the car so that they can leave. And he just kind of bolts away. Yeah. And I think that's a running bit of him, like bolting away from hitchhikers throughout this entire game. But like, I think he's been selfish throughout. I do agree that he was changed fundamentally on that day. Um, when he lost his daughter, yeah. which is the thing that we we've, we've talked about, but he, he was always a selfish I that's fair. Yeah, I was nodding my head almost right off uh, when Matt you were describing it because I I, I hugely agree that you know um, that they they start the game really well with uh, you know a really emotional scene um, and I, I think what they're really setting up in that first first scene and that that first narrative is. Uh, you know, Joel is skeptical of others. He's very much me first, and I'm going to make sure that, uh, you know, I take care of those around me or those that are uh, most close to. Um, but uh, I, I don't know if there's a a real selfishness. There's, there's definitely a, you know, take care of you and your own before anyone else. Make sure that you're not stretching yourself too thin and something might happen bad to the ones you love for the sake of trying to save the world in the process, um, which is, you know, the the perfect narrative setup for what this game's ultimate, you know, story is, which is about, you know, the sacrifice of of one for the for the many, or maybe, you know, no sacrifice, um, depending on depending on what what ends up happening. What I do want to commend, like right away, so that we don't forget, is that the voice acting in this game is is top notch and i think that anyone who's played can just point to not only the main characters uh joel who's played by troy baker which we've actually talked about on this podcast before i feel like i'm a big troy baker stan (laughs) uh and also um ashley johnson uh plays ellie uh we'll talk more about ellie a little bit later but those are the two main characters they're great but Performances from Annie Wershing, who like who's been on TV doing Twenty Four, The Runaways, uh, Nolan North, who I think is the 
first edition Troy Baker, as <laughs> terrible as that is to say out loud. Um, but he was the guy in like the, the early 2010s where I feel like Troy Baker was the guy in the mid 2010s as far as like video game voice actors go. And even Robin Atkin Downs, who has voiced Batman and done tons of video game voice acting, like the voice acting top notch motion capture too. I, I would say all of, all of the, uh, the cinematic, all of the, the acting elements, all of the, you know, the art side of this game was so well done. Um, I, I felt the, the real standout parts of the last of us were the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so huge props to Neil Druckmann, um, and the cinematics I thought so very quickly, um, based on the, the, the characters that they set up, the dialogue that they have for them and these brief cinematics between, you know, periods of gameplay, they create really believable characters that you're invested in, that you care a lot about, um, that, you know, I, I think by like without a doubt is the, the, the serious high point of this game. I, I think they, they carry it because um, spoilers, it's not the gameplay um, <laughs> <laughs> that ultimately does it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I will, I mean, I'll agree with that. Of course. How can I argue that? Um, I, while I think I'm kinder on the gameplay than you are, I will admit that the biggest problem I have with a lot of Naughty Dog's games, the Uncharted series and this game because it's impossible to not compare them um is that the cutscenes, the acting the cinematography all of that is great the the combat and the and the and the exploration between sometimes is good and sometimes is not i feel like our uncharted is at its best when you're exploring and i think the same could be said of last of us like when i'm digging through a, a derelict house getting supplies and crafting stuff and like prepping weapons like all of that feels really authentic to the experience and the narrative like when you're being walked through by bill later in the game and being told about different stuff and then like grabbing things like all of that feels really authentic but the stealth sections and the combat they are really isolated i feel like with youtube these days if you looked up all the cutscenes of Last of Us and just watched them, I mean, it wouldn't be a perfect experience. It wouldn't be a movie, but you'd probably understand the game pretty well. I don't think there's a ton of narrative in the combat. In the gameplay, there is. Like, there are definitely walking story moments that happen outside of cutscenes. Um, so I, I'm kind of in the middle there, but I would agree that the high point is for sure, like, all of the things that make this game art. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely you know, key moments where it's, it's in game or in engine Mm -hmm. where they kind of take control from the character and it's, you know, kind of scripted and you get to see some things. I I'd say the giraffe moment, just because that's something that's still fresh in my memory. Um, and there, there are definitely moments that require gameplay, you know, dragging yourself through the bus that's about to drown or dragging yourself away from the cannibal towards the blade Mm -hmm. while you're being attacked. You know, those are all moments that happen in, uh, in engine or in gameplay. Um, but I, 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 again, without being, I think too critical, that is well outside the norm of what gameplay is yeah. for those games. Um, so as a result, I you know I I just can't sit there and say like yeah the gameplay is amazing and contributes to the experience of the game because I felt like you know so much of my experience of it was um, playing or 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 dealing with the gameplay so that way I could get to that next reward of a cinematic where I actually felt like I, I gained a whole lot. You know when when you discuss. Um, you know, the, the looting, there are moments where it felt so very real and, you know, in line with what 
you know, the characters would be doing, what would make sense in this situation. But I, uh, you know, I, I felt like there were also huge chunks of the game that just there was real dissonance because, you know, I don't like horror games. I don't like scary games. So one of the things that I do to kind of compensate for that is I make sure that I am as prepared as humanly possible to deal with it. So I was looting every room and making sure that I got every piece of scrap that I could and I had everything, um, you know, crafted as as I possibly could. Um, to make sure that, you know, there was there was no way that I was going to be taken down in this next encounter because I didn't have the resources I needed. And I felt like there were a lot of situations where, oh, we needed to be hustling or, you know, we need to, um, you know, the character would be moving pretty fast here. But because it's a game and because there's gameplay, I'm going to be doing things that don't actually align with what Joel as a character or Ellie as a character would be doing. And maybe maybe it's the fact that I felt like, you know, an Uncharted game is like Indiana Jones, right? So right. in Indiana Jones, you have a hero who is larger than life, who gets into a bunch of misadventures with his friends and nearly dies every hour, where I, maybe I was more okay with, you know, the the clunky nature of the controls. I'm not saying they're clunky, but like, I'm playing a real man. <laughs> a real person. So maybe that's why I don't know. I, I, I guess that I I've never spoken to anyone about playing the last of us. It's always been a game where I've been like, yeah, it's amazing. But now that I, now that I think about it, like cinema, like it did a lot for games from a cinematography perspective, from a scripting perspective, from a character perspective, just the little character moments that you get, you know, between Ellie and Sam, for example, they're sitting on a couch, they're talking about what the world was like before the apocalypse. Games didn't do that before 2013. So I think we need to remember, one, that this game is seven years old at this point, and then two, you know, maybe my perspective is that I'm more okay with gameplay that's, you know, not as up to snuff as the cinematography in the game because I'm just so engrossed by the world. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think that uh, I I kind I think I'm getting the sense that I'm falling kind of in between the two of you. I will say that the combat, even if it didn't feel core to the narrative, I never was like, God, I want to get through this so I can get to the next cutscene. Like I was invested. Um, but what I wanted to say really quick is I feel like you know we mentioned Uncharted a few times. I feel like Uncharted incorporated those cinematic moments into gameplay much better. Like the famous train sequence from the third game. Like that sequence is for those who haven't played it um uh, nathan drake wakes up on a train that's going off a cliff and has to climb through this mostly horizontal train fighting bad guys to get to safety and like they only take the control away in moments when he's like jumping from something falling and they give it right back um and the last of us had some of those moments for sure but i felt like there weren't enough of them uh, but again, I, I, I also played the game on easy because I also like, uh, like you don't like horror games. So like <laughs> I can relate to you that way. Uh, I, I've, I'm a big coward. And so I played on easy. So I knew I'd get, be able to get through it. You're a hero. <laughs> you go through, you push forward, even though you're aware of the danger. I am. Uh, this is why Luigi is the superior Mario bro. I agree. Oh, don't bring oh, this up again. Oh, I'm on your oh. side there. I mean, also, Luigi's go. Mansion is one of the most influential games in recent history because it's just done some things that other Mario games won't do. 
But that's besides the point. Why do you keep getting allies, Mike? I don't. I don't understand <laughs> it's, it. It's here. easy when you're right. <laughs> but but <laughs> but but, to, but to that degree, Mike. When you mention that you don't like horror games, like for me, that's a big part of it too. But I don't know that I would consider this game really a horror game because there are har- there are scary, stressful moments. But I think it's more like a thriller, and like the stressful moments with the clickers, like. If depending on your level of cowardice, I suppose it could be scary. Like I know my spouse hates the game. If I imitate the clicker, she's like, "No, stop! Don't do that," um, <laughs> and and rightfully so because um, they are terrifying. But like I never felt really, really scared. There were stressful moments, and I'd mostly be frustrated when I died in the scary stealth moments. But this wasn't like Resident Evil, which like still to this day the re- GameCube remake of Resident Evil is a thing I cannot play. It's just too scary. <laughs> So, see, I, I feel way more comfortable with a Resident Evil game huh. because I feel like I actually have control over my character. It might not be perfect, but I, I feel like I have much better control over it. So I feel way more, um, without overusing it, in control of what <laughs> happens to me. Whereas in The Last of Us, I felt like you're expected to complete these you know really tense scenarios without having much control of your character. And and. A, Again, when I say without much control, it's not that, you know, the the characters doing things you don't expect them to. It's just you're always slightly, you know, pushing them to do what you'd want them to do. I I, I think if we're going to go back in time a bit and compare it to a game, I'd say it's kind of like the controls of GTA 4 in a way where it's always a little bit heavier and a little bit slower than than you would have liked. Um so, you know, I, I relate to that and and I think that makes sense, but w- one of my I guess concerns was I was being too hard on this game, right? That I was thinking, you know, this is a game from 2013 um, that I'm playing, you know, in 2020 and, and trying to, you know, impose my modern game design onto it. And then I thought back to, okay, well, what other games had come out before that or around that? And I think of the Bioshock games, like Bioshock Infinite came out that same year. And I think it does a much better job you know, leaving breadcrumbs, um, signaling to people what they need to do next, where they need to go, how to how to handle it. Um, mm. And I think that there are a lot of games that have a very cinematic approach. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say a Bioshock Infinite isn't cinematic um, and, and, you know, say that it doesn't. And, and I, again, I don't mean to pit it one-to-one <laughs> and, and um, you know, you have to like one or the other, but I feel like I don't think this criticism would have been out of place in 2013 when the game came out. So that's, that's kind of the just overall shape of it. Um, one other just quick bit is that, you know, we do our best to not message each other while we're playing the game. And before the, you, you read my mind about what I was going to yeah. tell. Yeah. Yeah. Before the, before we record, we try and save the hottest takes for our, for our podcast. But I messaged Jacob earlier on and I'm like, I hate this game. Like I <laughs> with, am with a spoiler tag. Yeah. Well, hey Jacob, guess what? I expletive hate this game. Yes. Is exactly what you sent me in a spoiler tag. <laughs> and and Jacob was like, you don't. You can just drop out. You don't have to be on this. <laughs> um, but I was I was committed, and I realized the thing that I just hated the most is after they give you this great setup, the the great narrative, you know, setup for Joel and the type of character he is, and you know, some early experiences in Boston. You're stuck. What felt like for the longest time early in the game with these clickers um, in the deep, dark subway tunnels. And it was just such a 
such a frustrating experience for me because I spent so much time down there just figuring out where I needed to go next. I could I could take care of, you know, the sneaking around, but I just couldn't figure out where I needed to go. Um, and and again, it was just one of those things that set the table early for me that the real strengths of this game, the real highlights were not, uh, you know, the actual game play of it, but the, you know, all of the dressing around it. I mean, that's that's really fair. Yeah, like I, I get that. Again, I said the stealth sections are my least favorite. I think what it comes down to is how much the rest of the game uh, balances out what you don't like, right? Like saying you hate that game, mm-hmm. the game in the moment of frustration. Like let's compare it to one of my favorite games of all time just briefly because it also came out around this time, Mass Effect 1. Mass Effect 1, canonically amongst the fandom, is not a mechanically good game. It has <laughs> good moments, but like... Uh, F the Mako, first of all, flat out. I'll say that wherever <laughs> I can. But also, like, the combat's okay, but as far as third-person shooters go, like, Gears of War and other games were doing it better at that time. What Mass Effect did really well was the choice, the scope, the narrative, the aesthetics, pretty much everything else but the combat. The combat was in enough short bursts that you never felt like it took over the story, and it's why you can go back and play it. However, it's Mass Effect 2 and 3 where all of that feels more balanced. And I would say that The Last of Us... And, like, so for me, I'll go back to Mass Effect because even though the controls stink, I'll play it because I love that narrative and it's all connected and I want to play through it. And I think for The Last of Us, it's the same kind of thing even though the controls aren't nearly as bad, like I feel like this definitely controls better than Mass Effect 1, but I will say that even in moments of frustration with the controls here, the story and narrative, I was so interested and was so well acted that that pulled me through. Um, And I almost didn't even play the DLC because of that, because of my levels of frustration, but I was yelled at by my best friend Katie, like, you have to play it. It's one of the best stories in the whole thing. It's important. And so I did, and I loved it. But like, but I get it. I don't know that I completely agree with you, Mike, but I definitely can see that. Like, it definitely makes sense. Uh, a few quick things. Uh, if you Google our podcast name, the DLC for this uh, for this game always, <laughs> always, always comes up, which drives me wild. But that's beyond the point. I think we could have an entire two-hour podcast about Bioshock Infinite and how it's not as great of a game as you think it is. I would agree with that. Uh, and then uh, it'll... I don't even know if we can do it, though, Mike, because it's it's an intensely political game, and I don't know if we want to go yeah. there. Uh, but I do want to repeat that um, I think the worst part of this game is hours, like, two and three. Basically, from when you time jump to, uh, you know, yourself and... Um, her name is Tess, I think. Tess, yeah. Tess, uh, is that yep. her name? Tess. Yeah, it's when the the worst part of this game is in Boston when you take the role of Joel with Tess all the way until Tess's death in the Massachusetts State House. I think that is the worst part of this game. And I understand why you messaged me and said like, hey, I really hate this because that's probably the area where you said you hate it. I think from yeah, there, almost definitely. the game like sixth gear for the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are real moments where this game just picks up and you move and <laughs> i i think it's not a surprise that that is that is the point where the game segments become shorter yeah and it requires you to do less and the cinematics and and narrative pieces in between carry a lot more of the weight um yeah which again like not to say that you know this is not a, a great piece of, of entertainment i just don't feel like the gameplay part of it was was very good 
Um, yes. As much as I think there are really well-designed pieces in it. What I want, and, and we're never going to get this, is I just want to get in the brain of someone that was working at Naughty Dog at the time because I want to know there are a lot of jump cuts in this game. You know, you jump cut 20 years. That's probably meant to be there. But a lot of the game is done and then you jump to the fall, then you jump to the winter, then you jump to the spring. I just wonder if they had, like, grand ambitions to have you play, like, for longer and then had to cut bits. Like, that's just my curiosity about, like, why we had the jumps to fall, the jumps to winter, the jumps to spring. And I get it from a narrative perspective that, like, each of those jumps, there's something tragic that happens and then they jump to the next thing. But I just want to know, like, is was that intentional or did things get cut for time? If I had to guess, I'd say it's like we played the most action packed parts. Like, we don't want, they didn't want us playing the day to day of Ellie and Joel making food or just hanging out and talking. They did some of that, but my guess is the jump cuts is like you're jumping to the most impactful moments of that story. And we're assuming the rest is day to day. Now, that said, you, re- uh, Michael, you referenced the um, giraffe part earlier, which is towards the end of the game. That scene like was one of the more awe-inspiring scenes because a it's so well acted and b it's in engine you're controlling joel as ellie is astonished by this giraffe and it's just really sweet and beautiful and like i feel like if the game had more moments like that it would balance out some of the other uh negatives and i think the jump cuts while important, do a disservice because I think if we'd gotten more of those moments instead of those jump cuts of people being in awe or joking around or having a or like being sad and crying like any of that, I think would have just upped the impact value a ton because those were the most impactful moments were the in-engine storytelling where you still had some semblance of control. Like it's why walking Sims do as well. They do now, right? Like the idea that you can play a game that doesn't have any action in it, but you can still be enraptured is because of how you explode those small moments. And I think the jump cuts avoid doing a lot of that. You know, the question about whether, um, we're playing just the highlight reel or whether there were grander ambitions. I think it's best to view this from the lens of movies or film, which is really a, a storytelling medium about condensing time. It's, you know, you don't ever see uh, a whole experience in a film. It's You're always getting cuts, mm-hmm. and the edits are intended to help condense periods of time in between where, you know, there are lows in action that don't support the overall, you know, narrative or, or the story that's trying to be told. And I feel like they do a really good job uh, cutting bits. I feel like this is actually a, a really well put together, you know, story. Um, and I feel that's why this game gets as much love as it does mm-hmm. because the story is so impactful. They hit you with the right moments at the right time, even if ultimately, you know, I, I don't want to take too many swings, even if ultimately there are real parts of it that are, you know, cliche and expected. You know, you expect. Um, you know, man to be the greatest evil or, or the real monster is man in a, in a zombie type film, right? You get that with the cannibals, you know, and it's even then it's really just an added cheap shot to make sure that you don't like the character that's ultimately, you know, coming after Ellie. Um, it makes it just extra clear that he's, he's a villain, you know, you get the, you know, uh, wasted innocence and youth, um, and someone close to you dying that they, they do with, uh, with the two brothers, um, and I think you get hints of those stories of, of a past world or a world forgotten with the drafts and with the piano and with the, the ballroom, with the, the big dinner, 
um and with the 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 comic books throughout that like you know i think ellie even just asked at one point like is this actually what it was like there was nothing really to to worry about this is this is what it was like before we fell so i I think they do just a really good job building the story and cutting out a lot of a lot of the fat i just kind of wished you know there was a little bit more of that gameplay cut (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i i think that it was really effective thinking back because i first played this game in 2013 and although i forgot i was surprised how much i actually forgot like i forgot about sam and henry entirely but i did remember like even seven years later like about three or four of the big things that happened and exactly how they happened so i think that them cutting for time, if you will, was really impactful for making it uh, a piece of media that I remembered. But I think I would argue that what's different between The Walking Dead and something like The Last of Us is that, you know, you, Mike, you said that maybe it was a little bit cliched. I think that, sure, if one or two elements are cliched, but I think that it did something very different with the way that it ended. And I don't, I don't know if we yeah. want to go there right now, but I think that that's something that, that we will need to put a pin in and talk about. Yeah. I mean, just, just to your point, I, I think it, it's as much as there are elements that are cliche, I don't think that they don't do a good job with it. Right. Or Let me re- reverse the double negative there. I think they do a really good job, even with the cliche elements and the stuff that you definitely see coming. You know, the <laughs> you I, I feel like everyone knew the moment that Sam and Henry come into the picture and just how protective uh, I think it's it's Sam is of Henry, um, the the older brother of the younger. You know that he's gonna he's gonna be hurt. You know, and the real question is whether it's gonna happen when you're separated and Ellie is with um, Henry and Sam is with you, and you become the villain and you become the person he blames. You've already come close to to killing each other throughout the story, or, or whether it's gonna happen when everyone least expects it. Um, or if you're if you're an observer of the game when you expect it, um, <laughs> right? So I, I I think you know even even in those cliche um, expected you know turns in the story, I think they do a really really good job with it. I think that I just want to bring it back and kind of quickly go over like I'm sure if you're listening to this you've played, but the one thing that we haven't said is that um, the whole conceit of the game is that Ashley Johnson's character, Ellie, has immunity to the virus, or not the virus, it is called the Cordyceps Brain Infection, or CBI, (laughs) that's affecting every single person in mankind. She's immune to it. So the whole conceit is we are going to take her to a place... Uh, with the with the Fireflies, which is kind of the organization that maybe we didn't get as much information as we wanted about, but they're the ones that are going to be able to take her immunity and develop a cure, and that's the entire conceit of the game, is we need to find the Fireflies, get Ellie to them, make an, uh, so they can make a vaccine, and the end. Like, that's the whole conceit of the game, and you get taken on a series of misadventures to get there. I, I just want to ask you guys a question, because I calculated it. Guess how long in miles you traverse in this game? Ooh, there's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, yeah, cross country. Yeah, and then yep. some. Mm-hmm. Austin, Texas, to Boston, Massachusetts, to Lincoln, Massachusetts, to Pittsburgh, to Jackson County, Wyoming, University of Eastern Colorado, Silver Lake, Colorado, Salt Lake City, Utah, back to Jackson County, Wyoming. Take a stab. Are we talking Just kilometers for- or miles? Uh, I've got two Canadians on this call. Um, give give me either. I, I can make it work. I think it's probably around five thousand miles. 
Okay, Matt, what do you think? I mean, I'm going to double down and overshoot. I think it's closer to 10,000 miles. Are we using prices right rules? Uh, we are. So uh, in this instance, Mike, you are correct. <laughs> uh, this game is 5,476 oh, wow. miles. If you walked eight hours a day, it would take you 225 days to walk that. How long wow. would it take if you rode a horse? <laughs> That's a great question. That is they a great question. They do spend question. time riding um, horses but, and driving cars, though not a lot of it, but they do. Yeah, so we talked about Tess dying. So, like, when the game starts, Tess is your pal. You guys are smugglers together. You take down a smuggler boss, and that's when Ellie comes into the picture. Um, we talked about the Massachusetts State House and how you're confronted there by militia members and your best friend Tess dies. And that's when you go to Pittsburgh and it just, it goes wild from there. Um, but do we want to go through these things beat by beat or do we want to just kind of talk about the highlights? I, I think it's worthwhile just to, you know, maybe whole beat by beat yeah. might be a, a little bit overkill, but uh, I think it's worthwhile to just get right at the top that Joel doesn't even want to be on this quest. Um, no. And and I think it alludes really you know tightly to what you said at the beginning that Joel is selfish, um, and and I think this is a really clear moment where where Joel says like I don't I don't want to risk this I don't think this is worth it we need to be smart we need to be survivors the reason we're alive right now is because we watched out for ourselves and we didn't take unnecessary risks and really the game is is about the you know Joel changing his philosophy changing entirely. Um, you know, his perspective on that. Um, do, do we want to go, you know, uh, into into that a little bit more? Into the story or yeah, into, into how Joel actually didn't change at all throughout this entire game? <laughs> oh, I completely disagree. I completely disagree. I don't know if you want to okay. go through the story bits to get there to explain it, but I can I can hop into it right now. Uh, uh, I, go for it. Just okay. go for it. Rip the band-aid off. Okay. So, you know, Joel at the beginning is... Uh, reluctant to say the least to go on this quest to get uh, Ellie to the Fireflies and along the way each destination that you get to when you think oh man I just need to get here and then I can get rid of her or then I'll be done with her and my, my quest will be over every destination you get to you end up finding oh no the princess is in another castle you need to go somewhere else um, or the Fireflies are in another castle and I, I feel like the, the the serious moment is as soon as you get to his brother's place, which um, you meet uh, Joel's brother. Is it Travis? Tommy. 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 Uh, you meet Joel's brother right at the beginning, and he's one of the reasons why you're able to get your daughter out and unfortunately is there when she dies. Um, but you go on this quest and you find Tommy. And you essentially say, Tommy's a past Firefly. He'll be able to get her the rest of the way. He's better equipped. He has more men. He has more people. Um, but ultimately, uh, when it comes down to it, he you know, kind of just takes it on the chin. He says, like, well, I've got a connection to this girl. I'm not going to leave her. I'm not going to leave her feeling abandoned. Um, whether he wants to or not at that point, it's very clear, you know, they've developed that relationship that you know, pseudo father daughter connection. Um, and then more than that, I think there's also a selfless element where he says like, I, I'm not going to risk my brother for this because it could have been very clear. Like, yes, I'm going to go do this and I want you to come with me. Um, and he doesn't make it easier by having his brother come along with him or any of the men that he's with. He, he does it solo with, with Ellie or as much solo as you could. And then 
you know, without, I mean, I feel like we have to spoil it without, you know, too much, um, you know, spoiling it at the very end of the game, you know, he could have been, he could have left Ellie. He didn't have to go and fight a whole suite of, um, of fireflies with, you know, AR rifles, um, just to save her from the doctors. Um, so it's not something he needed to do, but he did it because I think his view of, of, of being selfish changed. I, I think it went from taking calculated risks that were only to benefit him to taking calculated risks to benefit those that he cared most about. And see, for me, um, the whole, the thing that changed my view on it was in the kind of final hour of the game, you're in Utah, you're approaching the hospital where the final part of the game is happening. And what happens is that, you know, there's a picture that earlier in the game, Tommy hands you of your deceased daughter. And at that point in the game, you're like, I don't think I want this. You keep it. I'm good. Um, Ellie stole that picture and hands it to you later. And to me, that's the point where Joel begins to see like his daughter in Ellie. And I think that he is making the most selfish decision there is by saving her. I really don't think he, he may have started to change, but I think in the end, Joel is a selfish man who made a choice for him to protect the person that he thinks now is his daughter. I think, and I'm going to continue to be the median between you two. I think you're both right, right? Like let's talk about a dynamic person who changes, right? When any of us change, we don't change all at once. We don't like completely revolutionize our outlook. Um, although there are moments in my life where I feel like I have. Um, so like, well, yes, I think, you know, Jacob, you're right. I think especially at the end, the very end, and I'm spoil. I'm going to spoil it. I'm putting a button on it. If you, if you don't want the ending spoiled, jump ahead or pause the podcast. He lies to Ellie at the very end. And I think that's where Jacob's yep. point comes the most through is like Ellie asks, was there a cure? Could they help? And Joel goes, no, they couldn't. And they betrayed us. So we, I had to kill them. I'm sorry. And Ellie stops him and goes, Joel, seriously, tell me, like, is that the truth? Because it seemed like it wasn't. that's not how it was going to be. And he's like, no, no. Turns out they couldn't help us. And, like, that's the most selfish thing. Because now he's lying to Ellie. He's going to carry that lie into the second game and wherever that narrative goes. But on the other hand, Mike is right, too, because he starts out not caring about anybody but himself. And by the end, passionately loves this young girl and wants to take care of her, you know, feels a familial bond to this girl that he didn't feel for anybody after his daughter died. So I think in some ways he did change and in some ways he stayed the same, you know, and that's what was brilliant about the storytelling is that it was dynamic and it wasn't just like A or B. And, and there's real character development and character progress, and and they go places both, you know, in in, in development and and literally going places. Yeah, um, I, I'm definitely not making the case that Joel is selfless, <laughs> and you know, you know, with, without care for for you know uh, everyone else and only himself or or vice versa. Um, but I think he even with that decision, I think he makes it for Ellie more than more than anyone. Um, Marlene at the end when she says like you know she would choose this too I think that's the ultimate reason why he lies to her yeah. I think if he told her the truth she would say look I'll make this sacrifice for everyone right like I'll I'll make this sacrifice and 
I, I think, yes, there's a selfish element there that he didn't want her to make that sacrifice. He wanted her in his life in a way that, you know, he hadn't been close to anyone for, for a long time, or he had been, you know, very guarded in being close to people. But um, I, I don't think it needs to be a one or the other. I don't think people are, you know, black and white. I think people are shades of gray. Um, and I, I think the the real the real journey for Joel is is you know how he learns to care for Ellie and the the sacrifices that he'll go through to 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 save her ultimately or to to get her there. He'll be impaled by rebar oh. Um, oh. and have to be sewn up to to make sure he survives. Like he'll he'll do just about anything, and you don't do that if you're a self selfish person. You give yeah, up. You I, cut your losses. We didn't talk about that sequence like we we almost skipped over that as and to me there are two things that i remembered about the last of us the moment at the end and then the moment where joel gets impaled by rebar and the repercussions of what happens afterwards so you're at the university of eastern colorado you get impaled in an go accident by re rebar go big horns uh and ellie essentially has to drag you to a cabin half dead and care for you for an entire month or longer as you're half past dead. And that's when she meets the cannibals that we've talked about earlier, which to me, that was the loss of innocence of Ellie when she was confronted with pure evil of these cannibals. And uh, uh, Nolan North played um, the the main cannibal here. And I think that outside of David, outside of... Um, the two main characters, I think that he was the most convincing character because he was so sick and twisted. Mm-hmm. Incredibly well done, uh, both from, you know, writing and performance. Um, I would, I would tweak just a little bit. I've just a little bit that I feel like Ellie's real loss of innocence is when she has to kill people for Joel. Yeah. When, when she has to fight for him is the moment where she is no longer a kid is the moment where she has made that turn. She is, she has to grapple with things. She has to deal with stuff. And I think that happens as early as Boston, when he gives her a rifle for the first time where, you know, he is still really grouchy towards her and she has kind of a tear in her eye. And she's like, yeah, I mean like, yeah, that was really tough. And you could have said, um, yeah, I get it kid. That was hard to do, but it was necessary. It was me or him. Um, you know, she she does it to save him and you know he he doesn't quite get it at first um but i i think the the loss of innocence throughout is is definitely really interesting because you see you know she she bounces between shooting people and reading comic books um it it seems like uh, an honest an honest realistic take of what it would be like you know growing up and, and living in that that type of world and I just want to make a comment about the the voice actress Ashley Johnson. Um, I think it's it's not bizarre, but I think that they picked one of the best people that could have taken this role on because she's done so much voice work for children's programming. Uh, if you've watched Recess, mm-hmm. uh, she played Gretchen in Recess. Oh yeah, uh, she had roles in Ben Ten. She was a child actor on Growing Pains. So to That's me, where I recognized her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was like six years old on Growing Pains, and despite being a thirty-year-old voice actress at the time ish, at the time that this game came out, she had to play a thirteen-year-old girl, and I think that she did an incredible job at not only in capturing like the childlike 
qualities of Ellie before she had to do her first kill and then really having to grow up at the snap of a finger after she started murdering people left and right due to the situation she was in. Yeah. Phenomenal. Fantastic. She's incredible. I would only counter argue the loss of innocence thing because I don't know how deep we're going to go into the DLC, but if you play the DLC, it it elaborates on a story that Ellie mentions in passing that she lost her best friend. She had to watch her best friend turn. And so the the DLC is that story of her being in the military school, her friend being in the Fireflies, them going on a last adventure together, which is actually really sweet and really well made. Um, Some of my favorite acting in all of Last of Us. But like having to sit there together and turn and then, of course, that's how she found out she was immune is her friend turned and had to kill her friend and leave. That, I think, is the true loss of the start, the start of the loss of innocence. But she still has a good head on her shoulders. She gets colder, you know, and she's still a kid, but she does get colder as time goes on because she realized I do have to kill people. Not everyone is kind. Not everyone is looking out for us. Um, and I think that. Honestly, Ellie's story is the more interesting one. I I like Joel's story, and I think he's an important character. But the reason I'm looking forward to the sequel is because I think Ellie's story is the more interesting one. And I'm really excited to see where they take it because Joel is fairly one-dimensional as male heroes go, right? He's turned off to heroics because he loses his family. Then through a found family, rediscovers his heroics. Like, that's pretty textbook. And still an interesting character and still goes beyond the cliches. But I feel like Ellie definitely is the most dynamic character in all of this. And like even that boss battle against the cannibal, which I died on so many times, um, where you have to fight him while Joel is coming for you in the burning building. Like, I think that's that as the player, you get to feel like Ellie. It's really anxiety ridding. It's tight quarters. You're, you know, you're really struggling to win. Um and so, yeah, I think that all of this stuff is really important, but I think let's not forget that Ellie is really the baseline and also the the audience surrogate a little bit, right? Because she's asking questions about the world. She's um, asking about the past, which is always funny, like when you pass movie posters or find CDs or comic books. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know that I had a point there. I just wanted to say all that. <laughs> I think you, you mentioned, Matt, that the, the Last of Us Part Two and, you know, Ellie being the, the central protagonist in that in that story. Um, the game's been in development since 2014. But what's interesting is that, you know, Druckmann's writing it again, uh, along with Haley Gross, who's a co-writer on the first season of Westworld. Um, we've seen a lot about the game. We saw an E3 presentation in 2018 where we saw like a 12 minute vignette of, um, Ellie at a dance, which was fantastic. And then some, some uh, gameplay as well. We've seen, uh, there's a 30 minute gameplay clip kind of going around. Uh, I want to ask while we're here, if you were to make the last of us Two yourself, what is the one thing that you would want to be different in the game? That's a good question. The one thing I'd want to be different, I'd want them to thread the gameplay into the narrative better. I'd love, you know, conversations during the walking about parts. You know, I get that the stealth stuff, like if we're still dealing with clickers, like quiet is key. But, you know, I think threading more narrative into the non-cutscene moments would be really great. I Because I think the rest of it's pretty tight. Um, you know, and I mean... I think they're doing this anyway, but Ellie needs to be the protagonist. Like, I think we should still get to play as Joel maybe a little, but, like, this is Ellie's story now. Joel, we had enough of Joel's story. We don't need more 
uh, white guy, old man story. You know, I think I think we can move on from that. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but like I, I really do think that um, threading the narrative into the combat, stealth, and uh, exploration will only improve the game. Yeah, I, I want this to be a, a story that could only be um, told or understood in the context of games. Yeah. I don't want this to be something that you might as well be better served watching someone play through or adapted to a TV show, which, you know, they're in the works of doing. Um, I, I want this to be a unique story that lives within games and, and couldn't be told better any other way. And I think that's when video games realize their best versions of themselves. Um, the only thing that I'd quibble with, Matt, is that uh, I feel like this is Ellie's story. Mm-hmm. I feel like all of the twists and turns and progress and development is um, is for Ellie, right. is about Ellie, uh and I think the only reason why we might think differently is because we play Joel. Sure. Um, and and you know, typically the the first person or the the character that you're you know seeing the the world through um, is is the who the story's about. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the the only quibble I might have. But on the whole, yeah, very very on uh, agree. Yeah, and I mean I agree with that. I think more what I mean by it being Ellie's story is let us play as Ellie. Like, there's no reason to not control her now. Um, especially since Joel's getting up there in years, man. He's an old man. He's got to take care of himself. Got to settle down. You know, maybe the controls would actually make sense now, being as slow <laughs> as they are with Joel being an old man, you know? Um, I mean, there is only five years difference between the, the first and second parts, but I get it. Um, I'd want better weapons because I don't ooh, know about you guys, yeah. but a lot of the weapons in the game were were not great. I'm curious about what weapons you used most. Um, I just want to throw out first that the flamethrower is a terrible weapon. It's useless. I didn't use it once. I used it once. I didn't once. use it once. Yeah, I used it once. I like, <laughs> no, I agree. Uh, I tend to lean into shotguns a lot. I just like something with a kick and power. Also, as someone who's bad at shooters, though I like them, uh, less aiming with a shotgun. There's a spread. You know, works out better for everybody. <laughs> um, but I will say, I don't typically like rifles in games, but the rifle in Last of Us I felt was really good. Of all of the power weapons it was the most satisfying and felt the most comfortable um and then least favorite flamethrowers up there um the 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 magnum like the revolver i felt was kind of useless the pistol was always better and i felt like did more damage i don't know i'm sure that's not true but i just felt more comfortable with the pistol yeah i think a lot of it comes down to what you upgrade yeah that's true too. um and and what you know you end up upgrading the weapons that you like the most and and focusing your upgrades there um i don't know about you guys but my upgrades were pretty evenly spaced amongst all the weapons because i found that you know or at least my thought process was i can't invest too much into one weapon because I'm not sure if I'll have enough ammo for that yeah, one weapon. Same. And I think I had the very typical loop in a lot of these games where I was just hoarding everything and ended the game with max max ammo, max health, max med kits, um, because, you know, I that's the type of player I am. I, I hoard things. I want to make sure I have something in case I need it. Um, I'm a huge fan of bone arrows in video games. Like, oh, give yeah. me a bone arrow, and I will use the heck out of it. So, like, Crisis Three, I played exclusively so I could use a bone arrow in first person. Uh, the Tomb Raider trilogy, like the new trilogy, use the bone arrow whenever I can. And in The Last of Us, I found that my upgrades were fairly spread, except I spent maybe a little bit more on the bone arrow because I always had bolts for my bone arrow. Because depending on how you shot it, sometimes you would get the arrow back. 
So that I really enjoyed. Um, I stopped using the revolver and pistol like whenever I could because they weren't great weapons. Um, and then I really like playing with a lot of the tools. So you got, you know, Molotov cocktails, mm-hmm. you got these little bombs that you'd fill with like oh, sharp objects. Perfect. The shrapnel the, bomb. Oh, um, they were so ah, perfect. The shrapnel bomb. So good. You would throw it and it would be like a mine. So if someone stepped near it, they would just explode into a million bloody pieces. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not a sick person. I swear. I love um, that you could just drop those at your feet and run away. Yeah. And then they yep. would chase and like, yeah, yes. yeah. And I love the Molotov cocktail when you had clickers that you had to fight, like the boss clickers surrounded because you just hit the big guy. It would explode all over the ones around him. They would die and then you'd just fight the boss. Like that, those were really great. Grenades aren't always good in games, but I thought that Last of Us definitely did get grenades right because they did always feel pretty satisfying. But even the bottle and the brick, <laughs> I think one of my favorite things to do in the game was to just throw a brick at a guy and run up to him and punch punch him or hit him with my weapon because it would only take one hit once yeah. you've thrown a brick at their face. I almost never use the bricks and bottles until the end of the game where you're trapped in rooms with, you know, the the bloaters, mm-hmm. the really big clickers. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to fight all these guys. They're standing in water, which gives me the impression that I can't just set them on fire. Um, so I'm, I'm going to find, I'm just going to keep throwing these bottles, lure them in a direction and run away. And once I realized how easy that was to do, it made me so frustrated that I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't love, uh, how, you know, the clickers could kill you in one shot. Um, there's several different levels, I guess, of clickers, which is basically how long they were infected. There are the runners that will see you and run after you. There were the regular clickers that their faces were essentially mushrooms and they would on one hit bite you and tear out the, the tendons and the, and the veins in your neck. (laughs) And And then the bloaters and they were blind. Yeah. They just could hear really well and almost see like a bat could see. Right. And then bloaters, which have been infected for a year plus and are these like huge bloated and they throw uh, fungus at you. So, yeah, I I guess my only complaint was that I liked fighting humans more because, you know, they wouldn't kill me in one shot. Like at least if I made a mistake because I made a lot of mistakes, I won't lie. I'm terrible at games. (laughs) Um, But if you made a mistake, you you may not be killed. Um, Before we talk about the final sequence of the game and the the end of it, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, what are maybe your one or two standout moments that we haven't already spoken about? I I can go first and say that what I really loved is when um, Ellie um, and uh, I always forget, is Sam the younger one? Um, Yeah, Sam is the one that dies. Okay. My favorite moments were the small moments between Sam and Ellie where like they were talking about how like, oh, I wonder what barbecues were like or, hey, we used to come over all the time and watch movies when we had electricity. Like I I just really like those small, um, you know, world building moments because we got a 20 year time skip in the game and didn't see how the world crumbled. Uh, So I think that those small moments uh, were, were really great, especially when Ellie stole the transformer toy for Sam right before he kind of went, uh, he went in full infection mode. Um, those little character moments were really nice for me. You know, uh, if there are two moments that stood out for me, the, the one is when you meet Bill, um, after seeing all of his traps around yeah. and, you know, getting a sense of Bill's town, 
Um, and it was it just reminded me of one of my favorite David Foster Wallace quotes, which is like, "Am I paranoid? Yes, but am I paranoid enough?" Um, because it it kind of just hits it kind of just hits Bill right on the head. He is absolutely paranoid, and he is um, as you can see in the notes that you find throughout, especially the note of his dead partner. Um, he is paranoid to a fault, uh, and he he will be trapped by his paranoia, um, and and trapped within it. Uh, I think the other moment that I felt was just so arresting and standout was the moment that David turns and you find um, and he's telling Ellie that like, oh, yeah, you know, there was there was a story of a group of my friends that were killed by a guy traveling with a girl. And it's the moment that you realize like, oh, no, David, throughout this whole period, you've been fighting with him. He seems like he's making good faith efforts to just, you know be a kind human and and ellie is you know having her guard up ellie changes roles with joel she goes from being the one who has her guard up because she has to she has to be protective um and in that moment you realize like oh wow it's a good thing i didn't trust this guy more because he would have very likely uh you know done done something worse than than where we are right now uh, my standout, mo- one of my standout moments you stole, which was the Bill stuff. I thought that that stuff was really great because that's that also with the traps let you see gameplay as storytelling, right? Which is what we were talking about. We wanted more. Yeah, of. that's a really good point. Um, so that was one of them for me as well. Uh, I'd say, um, probably the other one is the the moment where you wake Ellie up in the hospital, which we're about to talk about, like. It's the first time I felt as Joel this well of emotion that I hadn't really felt before because he's standing over her and like you feel this like kind of fatherly protective energy. So I think we should at this point, since I brought it up, go into the hospital sequence. So the the end of the game revolves around you getting Joel to the, the destination, the place you've been going the whole time, getting uh, Ellie to the hospital where the fireflies are so they can create a vaccine. When you get there, the head of the fly, fireflies takes her from you. And, you know, Ellie's like, it's okay, don't worry. And, like, they, they go, and she tells Joel that she's not, they're going to they're gonna dissect her, essentially. They're going to tear her apart until they figure out what makes her tick and then make a vaccine. She's not going to survive the process. And Joel immediately rebels against it, starts fighting people. Uh, and, um, you know the fireflies are still trying to work with him because they don't want to make an enemy of Joel, but Joel is not having it. And so the whole final sequence is you breaking free of being locked up by the fireflies and then going to rescue Ellie. What a badass scene that is too. (sighs) When he takes the guy who is escorting him out at gunpoint and, you know, essentially castrates him. Yeah. What a powerful scene, but also like the slick, the slick, like um, almost like letting him fire elbow bumping it letting him fire and then doing as you said um castrating the man uh i i thought it was more of like a like a bowel shot or a lower intestine <laughs> shot but oh no if you want oh if, no 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 <laughs> oh no, uh, oh, no. i don't I don't know if I loved that part from a gameplay perspective, like the the being in the hospital uh-huh. with an assault rifle because it was very much like it it felt like more of a a shooter than it had for the entire other part of the game. I would like agree. it was I relied less less on stealth than in previous parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh and I died probably I would imagine half of my deaths in the entire game were in the hospital and then the other half were clickers killing me. So <laughs> um 
I don't know how I would if I would change it though, because obviously you want the last part to be difficult, and not only difficult from like a narrative perspective, but difficult from a, a gameplay perspective too. Because you know, this they, game was difficult in the end. Yeah, they could have done an MGS style thing where you're physically impaired and you're struggling with the controls to get, you know, to get your way up to the the, the surgeon's room. Um, and I hated. I thought that. you were gonna say have a fist fight with someone in the in the last part of the game, <laughs> right? I I hated that you had to kill the surgeon. I hated that they they put up a fight. Uh, but you know, it you kind of get it, right? The the scale is saving humanity versus this one girl's life, and you know the Hippocratic oath. I'm sure <laughs> does not hold in that situation. I'm sure there are exceptions to every rule. And yeah, I don't think I would change it either, Jacob, because. Um, like there's not, this is the most action you've seen the whole game. And like most people Mm -hmm. have had, you know, minimal animo and minimal supplies, but you're in the home base hospital of this giant militia. Like they're going to be heavily armed and it just made sense because also from a narrative perspective, like I feel like this is one of the most narrative action scenes because the entire time Joel is cursing, Joel is scrambling, he's running on adrenaline, like and that kind of um, hectic stress is conveyed through the gameplay here. Like, you just want to get to Ellie. Every round, every turn, when I would get upstairs and then there were more guys and, like, I would turn a corner and there's more guys, I was cursing too because I'm like, I just want to get to Ellie. I got to get through this. And yeah. so I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, hundreds of bullets. <laughs> you pick up hundreds of bullets. You fire hundreds of bullets. I just, I get it. I agree with you. I just, I, I don't know. It, it, it it just was different. Yeah, I understand from it's a gameplay perspective gamey. why they did it. It's very gamey. Yes, it you felt know? very yeah. video, very gamey. much video game. Yeah. Um, in the way that I don't think this game was before, like the especially the 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 sequence with David, which is for me kind of the the climax. Um, that's it didn't feel gamey as much as that was a boss fight. Yeah. Do you think that Joel did the right thing? No. Very clearly, no. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's hard, right? Like you, if it were, if it were my child or someone I felt was my child, it's hard to say I wouldn't do the same. I'm a protective person, and I am a person who puts others before himself. But you know, it's the argument of the one versus the many, right? And it's a philosophical debate, and so like, th- it's hard to say there's a right answer. Um, but that's not what you're asking. You're asking if I thought it was the right thing. Um. I'd have to say no, like, you know, right? Like, if we want to save the world and this girl is an attempt to save the world unless he has another plan. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was the right decision, but, but I think Joel does. Yeah, I, I think very clearly not the, the right choice, um, but I think very clearly a human choice, yeah. which is, is one of the reasons why I think people like the story so much and like the character so much because they seem be- very real. They do very realistic things. Um, it's a very human story. Um, but did he, you know, make the right choice? Absolutely not. He robbed not only, you know, not only Ellie of the, the truth and agency, right? It's, it, the, the issue wasn't so much that they didn't ask her because he ultimately lied at the end to prevent her from knowing the truth about what the situation was and allowing her to decide whether she was going to be a sacrifice. Um, but more than that, he robs the world of its ability to rebuild, Right. Like Ellie could have been the sacrifice and everyone throughout human history following could have known the story of Ellie and Joel. And and more importantly, Ellie, this girl who went through hell and back to to 
you know, save humanity because she was the only one that could like a very Christ-like story. Um, <laughs> you rob a world of its future because you want, you know, more time with someone you love and care about. It's not the right choice, but it's, you know, like I said, a very human choice. I think that that's probably a, a very good place to put a pin in The Last of Us until we get The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, gents, any final thoughts that you want to share about uh, The Last of Us before we close it off uh, for another episode? I'll uh, I'll talk a little bit about, really quick, something we haven't talked about yet, which was the soundtrack and the, and the sound effects. Oh, yeah. Um, I think we've talked about the graphics and how good it looked, you know, and the remaster looks even better. It's just stunning. But what's really important here is while the music isn't, I'd say, particularly memorable, I think aesthetically it was super important. It was low when it was low. It was high when it was high. Um, but I'd say the Foley, the sound effects were spot on from every bottle you threw to every gunshot to every, you know, attack and fight and dialogue and voiceover. All of the sound in the game was phenomenal. Like the the cinematic effect the graphics carry a lot of the weight, but I think the sound and the VO is what makes it as tight as it is. And so for me, like that's the highlight for me. It's like the pinnacle of, it's not the pinnacle, but it's one of the highest points of voice acting and sound design, I think in gaming for sure. Yeah. I, I'd echo that. I think they do a really good job with the sound design and, and, and the music. And, you know, it's such a, a well put together story that all of these elements come together really well. Um, I see why people love it. I just don't think it's a very good game. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of just, you know, where, where I think I have to fall on the line. I think I'm, uh, I'm just going to, my last comment around it is that um, there's a YouTuber, Luke Stevens, although I don't agree with everything he, he puts out there. Um, what he did argue is that what makes this game so different and so unique is at the time it had this incredible ability to deliver engage, engaging and efficient content that has balanced pacing, good dialogue, and real characters. So I think if what I have just said has intrigued you, uh, this is a series that you will probably really like, and that you know now is is a great time to now is now is an interesting time to play The Last of Us. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it it is a very um, interesting series that I'm I'm really looking forward to the part two. And the HBO series that is coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be said enough that so much of my experience with this is colored by, you know, a global pandemic that's also happening just outside, um, you know, our houses. Uh, so it, it it's one of the reasons why I, I hated the early game. It felt so tough to get through. But, um, you know, it's it's an interesting package at the very least. And uh, I'm I'm sure you would have different different feelings and takeaways if you weren't playing it in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I started the first half not in the pandemic and then played the second half in it. And yeah, it definitely did color it. A lot of the really traumatic moments felt more a little more traumatic because we're all isolated and we're all social distancing and we're all worried about this thing we can't control. So yeah, definitely echo that. Uh, before we close, I want to, ask you guys a few questions that came in uh, through the Twitter. Uh, we are on Twitter at Left Behind Club. The first question comes from Luke Lewis. He is at Lukewarm Lewis. Uh, we've covered the first part of this question, but I want to ask you the second part of his question, which is, do you have any story predictions for The Last of Us Part Two? Uh, I mean, I'm going to say something that I don't want to happen. I don't want them to fridge Ellie's seeming girlfriend, because that would be queerbaiting and horrible on every level. Uh, 
But and they, I think they show her get attacked, if not killed, in the trailer. So I'm hoping my prediction is is that she is attacked, she is hurt, but like she becomes a force to reckon with within the game along with Ellie, and that there's a bounce back from that. Um, I have a prediction. I think Joel will not survive the second game. I think I think some of the heart for Ellie to be an adult, which will probably be either in the second game or for the third game. Uh, is the loss of Joel. And I think and I think Joel is going to die selflessly because we keep talking about him being selfish. And so I think the only way you really redeem Joel and the lying and the selfishness is for him to do something, an actual self-sacrifice of some kind in the second game. So I have seen nothing about the marketing materials for The Last of Us 2. So I don't know anything. I think two things are going to be made clear. Matt, I think your your prediction seems very spot on i think it's you know the death of han solo type type situation um and i i think the second thing is joel's lie is going to be exposed and i think that's one of the the central tensions in the game is going to be ellie now an adult now having way more complex feelings emotions ties to people um is going to be you know she's still the only immune person as far as we know so I, i think that tension is going to be something she has to grapple with becoming an adult and making that choice. Uh, my prediction is about Tommy. Uh, you've said that uh, you don't think Joel is going to last the second game. I don't think Tommy's going to last the second game. I I don't know if Joel's going to going to pass, but I've seen at least in the trailers, Tommy's played a very prominent role more so than I think he did in the first game. So uh, I, I don't think that he'll last. I, I'm not sure about Joel. I feel like they're going to want to make this a trilogy, so I think Joel might have to stick around for one more game. Uh, our next question comes from Control Alt Noob from the Discord. Uh, she's also on Twitter at Control Alt Noob. Uh, her question is: This game has a lot of hype around it as one of the best games that there is. Do you think that it was true at the time, and do you think it still holds up today? I think we've t- all touched on this a little bit. I think. Do you think it's? It was one of the, I mean, I think it's one of the best games made. I don't think it's the best. I've expressed on this call both off and on the show, pre-pod and actual podcast, my thoughts on the best games. Uh, I think, though, I think artistically, though, I think it is definitely a high point for gaming. I think we all agree on that, though I'll let you all say it in its own words. Definitely at the time. Now, I mean, there are other games who how that have hit these heights. But I still don't think they've told the story like The Last of Us has told. I think there have been other cinematic games that were absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, uh, I'm currently playing Control, which is blowing my mind at every corner. But, like, I don't think anything's attempted to tell a story like The Last of Us has even to this day, which is why it's still one of the best. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it lives up to the hype. Um, I think the hype has outpaced what this game actually is. So I think it's a little bit disappointing to go back and play it today with with a modern lens. Um, but that said, I, I agree with your statement that this is one of the best games ever made. I just don't think it's a good game. Um, and, and that's kind of where the tension is. I, I think this is going to be a landmark uh, a landmark game, a cultural milestone, something that's referenced, something that games build upon. But I just don't think itself is 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 very good as a game so um again i i think such a great story would be way better served as a tv series or as a movie um and you know we're just not there yet 
Um, to build off that final question comes from Ludo Narrative FM at Ludo Narrative FM on Twitter. Uh, he was actually on our one of our episodes previously on a short hike. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, to build off this, people describe The Last of Us as a masterpiece of storytelling, but is there anything innovative and brilliant that The Last of Us does, mechanically speaking, in terms of gameplay or interactivity? Um, I'm going to say no. I think the brilliance of this game is is in its cinematic presentation and the story that it tells. Yeah, quite literally, the cinematics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that is the, the highlight. The cinematics and the story develop characters really quickly. Um, develop buy-in and and care for them um, and then you know does what it does but so little of it actually involves the gameplay and I think that's kind of been at least what I've been trying to communicate as my thread throughout this whole podcast yeah I think like platforming wise platforming is good but it was it's the same as uncharted it's using a similar engine so like i don't feel like it's done anything new there the stealth mechanics have been done better in a ton of other places so i don't feel like that is particularly revolutionary um and i I mean i would say the crafting system felt good it was satisfying it was crunchy and that was part of the sound design like when you're making the stuff um but i still don't even think that was that revolutionary i feel like other games before and after have done crafting systems in a similar way um i do like how it uses the physical objects and kind of explains away how you use them uh but yeah i don't i don't think any of it is in the i don't think anything in the last of us i go i can only get this here mechanically like i think it just does some stuff that a lot of other games do and that's okay too but yeah i don't think it's blowing my mind in any way and i think gents that's where we are going to close the show um matt uh if people want to find you on the internet uh where would be the best places uh for people to to do that because you host many different shows you stream <laughs> on twitch so let the people know where they could find you sure uh buckle in gents it's gonna be a little while you could take a break maybe run to the bathroom <laughs> do what you gotta do um so the best place to find me is on twitter at dj underscore stormageddon i'm actually that on all social media so wherever you look um i think just on facebook my fan page maybe is stormageddon nyc but either way uh twitter is where i'm the most active um i have a lot of podcasts that i work on um, my longest running is an interview series called crash chords autographs um as of when this airs my newest episode will have been with mike rognetta who is a youtuber and a gamer and a podcaster um really great interview um, you can find that at CrashCourse.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And then the other three I do are for the Certain POV Network, CertainPOV.com. Um, they are on a podcast network with a ton of other really great nerdy podcasts. Um, one show is Screen Snark, which is a TV and movie podcast that I do with the incredible Rachel Shank, who's a comedian and a songwriter. And we bring a guest on every episode to talk about the latest thing we've all watched. There's no pressure. You don't have to watch something new. It could be whatever you've been watching recently. We just have casual conversations about the current state of media and consumption and what we like or don't like, depending on what we've watched. Um, my two gaming podcasts on the network, one I've mentioned before already, which is Reignite, which is a Mass Effect uh, play together podcast is what I call it. Me and my co-host MJ are playing through the game together uh, on separate playthroughs, of course, but we're discussing it together as if we were Shepard. Why did we make the decisions that we make? Why do we like the characters we like, don't like the characters we don't? And also talking about the games themselves, how they've lived up to the hype and how maybe they haven't aged so well in other places. And then my last podcast on the network is Fun and Games Podcast that I do with my good friend Jeff Moonen. It is a bi-weekly gaming podcast where we talk about tropes, trends, 
um, certain uh, outliers in the gaming industry. We have interviews with game developers and community managers, um, and it's just kind of a casual chat celebrating gaming. Like we try and keep negative stuff out of the conversation. We try and just make it a celebration of games because there are enough people on Twitter yelling about why games suck. We figured we didn't need a <laughs> podcast for that, uh, and so. Uh, yeah, and then I stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash DJ underscore Stormageddon. Um, I just finished playing Shadow of the Colossus. I'm going to start playing Alan Wake because a bunch of my friends yelled at me to play it because I've never played it. Um, yeah, and then there are other things I work on besides that that you can find, again, all of it through uh, my Twitter page, which is uh, at DJ underscore Stormageddon. Yeah, and uh, I I still have to listen to your Mass Effect podcast, but I have listened to Screen, screen Snark. Uh, I listened to the episode example with Rebecca Valentine. Uh, it was a very Amazing. chill, very fun show. And then your Fun and Games podcast, you had a two-part series about um, amateurs becoming professionals. Yes. I think is kind of the conceit of the two-parter. Mm-hmm. So those two I really enjoyed. So again, uh, lots of stuff to check out. Uh, even for myself, I have more to check out. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, we were very happy to have you. Uh, if you want to find the Left Behind Game Club on the internet, you can find us at Left Behind Club on Twitter and at Left Behind Game Club on Instagram. Uh, we also have a Discord server where if you want to come in and chat about the games that we're talking about, talk about game deals, uh, talk about even TV and movies, you can find the link to that on our website at leftbehindgame.club. There's a big old Discord button right there on the front page. You can't miss it. Mike, if people want to find you on the internet, where can they do so? Yeah, if you want to come at me, fam, for my hot takes on The Last of Us, uh, find me in the Discord. I'm ready. I've got some shivs uh, crafted and ready to go. You're going down like a clicker. Um, so, yeah, you can find me at the Discord server. Just like Jacob said, go to leftbehindgame.club, the big fat button in the middle to, to directly join. Um, we've got a lot of channels in there that you can go to, especially for hot deals. You can also find me at RuflowM on most social places online, Twitter, Instagram, etc., etc., um, and MichaelRuflo.com. Uh, you can find me on the internet at Jacob McCord on all major social media platforms. Uh, Twitter is my game, but I'm on Instagram and other places as well. TikTok even, if you want to see my silly TikToks, uh, that is where you can find me. Mike, please take us home. And that, my friends, is one less game left behind.